0: to Intentional Inclusion with the Diversity Doctor, your weekly dose of diversity and inclusion content with me, your host, Dr. Donna DeHaan. I want to help as many organisations as possible create people-centred businesses because I know that when your people thrive, so too does your bottom line. I'm here to help you move from professing an interest in d to implementing practices that will change the way you do business for the better. So, if you're looking to truly make an impact with your DNI efforts, You're in the right place, my friend. Every week I will give you the perfect mix of theory and practice to help you create a business where everyone and your bottom line can thrive. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome to episode one of Intentional Inclusion. Oh my goodness, I am so incredibly grateful that you are here listening to this right now because it means that you are being intentionally inclusive. Of all the things you could be doing with your time right now, you've chosen to spend it listening to a podcast about diversity and inclusion. And that means everything. So let me explain. Now, if you're driving and it's not safe to do so, just keep driving and listening but if you can stop whatever it is that you're doing I just want you to stop for a moment and I want you to take a really deep breath and I want you to just be aware that you are consciously choosing to be intentionally inclusive right now because you have consciously chosen to um, listen to this podcast of all the subjects podcasts that you could listen to you chose this one. So inclusion is important to you and you are doing something about it and I absolutely love that. And the reason I wanted to kind of bring you into a moment of being conscious about it is because so many of the decisions we make on a daily basis are decisions we make at a unconscious subconscious unconscious subconscious level. So Our brains process 11 million bits of information every second, 11 million bits of information, but consciously we can only process 16 to 40 bits. Now I'm a qualitative researcher. I'm not a numbers person, but even I can understand that there's a big gap there, right? We receive 11 million bits of information, but we can only process 16 to 40 bits. So what happens to all those other bits of information that we're Just sort of not consciously aware of. Well, our subconscious deals with it, and this is where unconscious biases lie. And this is something I wanted to start off um, talking about today. So, we all have unconscious biases, and there are many different types of unconscious biases, and I'll run through a few of them today, and some affect affect us more than others. So in the process of kind of preparing for this podcast and looking at um, different types of unconscious bias, I've actually become aware of some of the unconscious biases that are prominent for me at this point in my life. Uh, And I will share some of those with you um, in a moment. And please stay around to the end of the podcast, because I have a link to a free resource which outlines all this for you. So right now you're just listening to it. But if you're like me, a visual learner, and you want a little bit more context then i've got you i've got a resource that you can you can access no worries my friend so back to unconscious biases unconscious biases is our brain's way of making shortcuts so We have 11 million bits of information coming at us every second. We can process only 16 to 40 bits of that information. So the rest of it goes into a shortcut system. Now, our brains are super efficient at this. We receive all this information and our brain quickly just sorts it into shortcuts. And those shortcuts have been built on our experiences. What's worked for us so far in the past? What hasn't worked for us? What's familiar to us? What do we know? So those shortcuts have been Um, laid out for us from um, our family life the dynamics that we have in family what we've been taught in school what we see in the news um, what we watch what we consume all of those bits of information reaffirm pathways and stories that our brain is processing and then it jumps to shortcuts so let me give you an example um If we um, have seen or experienced a dog attacking somebody, and I'm a huge dog lover, so hopefully you haven't (laughs) experienced this, but imagine that, you know, as a child, maybe you were attacked by a dog. In fact, my children had this for a while. They were very little, toddler sort of age, and it was a very friendly dog, but it jumped up at them and it knocked them flat on the floor and it created... A fear for them, and they would literally, um, whether they were in their pushchair with me, as soon as they saw a dog, any dog, they would be scared. They would go into fight or flight mode because they had this association of the dog is going to hurt me. Now that was a very visceral reaction to them. But if that had been continued to be allowed to be reaffirmed, if every other message that they'd had was that dogs are dangerous, dogs are bad. If they read stories about it, if they saw programs about it, if they saw other people um, having issues with dog, it reaffirms that narrative that they're creating in their head. Thankfully, we have a beautiful friend who had a beautiful puppy around this time and we spent a lot of time rewriting the narrative that my children had. So they would just play with the dog, they would get used to the dog in their own space in their own time so they were able to build a different pathway to what a dog meant now we don't always have the chance to rewrite the stories because let's face it media is very good at feeding us biased stories so how many it was only a few years ago that i watched jingle jangle on netflix and i'm a huge huge christmas fan i love santa i love i'm a believer in santa it's my favorite time of the year. I love everything to do with the Christmas magic, and it was only when I was sat watching Jingle Jangle with my family that I realized just how whitewashed Christmas was for me. like that was the first time I'd seen any people of color represented in Christmas movies and i it made me think why do i why do I even think that Santa has white skin because that's just the messages that I've been fed all the time and you know, but why, why do I associate everything to do with Christmas, all the festivities and the songs and the films defaults for me to white experiences and I really had to have that that kind of aha huh, moment, right, watching Jingle Jangle and going wow, of course, of course, people of different colour can have Christmas experiences and enjoy Christmas and should be seen and presented and represented in Christmas stories. But I hadn't had experience of any of this. So my brain would shortcut Christmas, shortcut white people. My children's brain went, oh, dog, shortcut, danger. And so it's really important that we rewire these shortcuts we can feed our brain with different information because we need our brains to do these shortcuts right because 11 million bits of information we can only process 16 to 40 we cannot handle the amount of information we get on a daily basis but we can learn to feed our brain with different information and help it rewire different shortcuts so let's take an example of one bias affinity bias now I would challenge anybody that doesn't use affinity bias as a shortcut every day. I mean, affinity bias for me is one of the most common unconscious biases. You know, like, don't know, okay, but what the hell is a, a affinity bias? Affinity bias is also known as similarity bias. And it's, think of it as like holding up a mirror. So remember, I'm telling you that... Um, Our brains like familiarity, it constructs go-to, it joins the dots. So if I look in the mirror, I see myself, it's familiar. I've been looking at this face for 46 years, it's very familiar to me. I know how I behave, I know what I do, I know my likes and dislikes. And as soon as I come across somebody that shares some similarities with me, then it feels safe, it feels familiar and comfortable. So I gravitate towards them. Now, I'm English-speaking, I live in the Netherlands, my Dutch is terrible. And I will know that if I am in a room uh, of people that I don't know, um, and I hear somebody speaking English, I will gravitate towards them. It feels safe. I know that I can communicate with them more easily than with Dutch people who speak amazing English, but I will gravitate towards the familiarity. That's somebody that speaks the same language as me. So we gravitate towards that mirror image because it feels safe. And remember, our brains will shortcut that similar is safe. And therefore, the default opposite of that is that different or unknown is unsafe. So we are more apprehensive of that. Now, if I'm making decisions about, I don't know, I have concert tickets um, next week Um, I will default. It's okay to let my affinity bias jump in then because it's my brain will start selecting who do I know that likes similar music to me? Who do I think would like this experience? I want the similarity in that case. I don't want to invite somebody to... I'm going to embarrass myself now. I'm thinking of some music that I can say. Let's let's do it. Uh, Taylor Swift. Um, I've never been to a Taylor Swift concert, but imagine... I have tickets for Taylor Swift. I do like her music. And um, I'm not going to invite somebody who likes, what would be the opposite of Taylor Swift? I don't know, the Foo Fighters, for example. They may like the same music, but chances are I'm going to reach out to somebody who I already know likes that genre of music because the chances are they're going to say yes to coming to the concert with me. So that helps me make that decision, right? I'm looking for similarities. Deciding who to go for a drink with on Friday night, I want to go with somebody who I can have a conversation with. So similarities there, great, that works. In a work situation, we need to shush the Affinity buyers' voice because it doesn't help. If we're making um, decisions in work on anything from recruitment to performance reviews, promotions, uh, who to select to joining a new team, and we use affinity bias to make the decision in that context, we're going to end up having cultural ad or cultural fit, sorry, cultural fit rather than cultural ad. So we'll attract like, and we'll create a homogenous team, or we'll just keep perpetuating one type of person in one type of role. So in this case, affinity bias doesn't help us because it creates blind spots. We assume, remember, that different is unknown is unsafe, but it's not in this case. Just because somebody comes from a different educational background to me doesn't mean they're unsafe doesn't mean they don't have something to add to what it is that I want within my team right now. Just because somebody has a different skin color does not mean that they are unsafe, does not mean that they cannot contribute to the team. In fact, it is the opposite. We know that diverse teams create better innovation, um, help nurture belonging, um, increase uh, flexibility, adaptability, all of those kind of things. And if we keep attracting me if I work with people that just just are me then what am I adding right what am I adding to the team if everybody looks like me agrees with me sounds like me has the same ideas as me I might as well just make decisions on my own what's the what's the point in that and yes it feels uncomfortable to be challenged and yes it feels uncomfortable for someone to question you and of course but that's where growth comes from that's where innovation comes from That's diversity of thought. Otherwise, it might as well just be me set on my own, making decisions about everything. We don't want that, clearly, because that's why we tend to form teams. But if we create teams based on affinity bias, that's looking in the mirror, and everybody around the table looks the same as us, then then we're failing. So affinity bias is one example of an unconscious bias that can work in certain aspects of our lives, but if it starts to feed into work-based decisions, that's when we need to hit the pause button. That's when we need to go, ah, hang on, did I just make that decision based on the best fit, based on valid and reliable information, or did I base that decision because it felt safe because that person is like me, I'm drawn to that person. So here's some practical tips. If we're looking to avoid affinity bias, for example, we could do things like implement blind recruitment processes, have diverse panels involved in uh, assessment reviews or promotion panels or those kind of things so that it's not just one perspective that's making the decision. So I know I have my own perspective and I have to be responsible of setting a little alarm in my head that goes, oh Donna, that's your bias, that you're defaulting to the comfortable and the familiar and is that the right decision? I am responsible for doing that, but surrounding myself with different people with different views and opinions ha- also helps overtly counteract that. Now, another bias that I have uh, recently, oh, it's touched me a little bit, and this is authority bias. Now, this is another way of, you know, shortcuts, I've said, your brain makes shortcuts and, it, and it, it's based on our experiences and what information our brains have been fed. It's only really recently that I have realized that I thought the way that I had been raised, so I've been raised to respect authority. Um, I think it's very British, maybe a generational thing, but I would always default to um, authority figures, being respectful of authority figures. A teacher, a policeman, a politician, a leader, an older person when I was growing up would be an authority figure. Um, Respect your elders. That's something that I was raised with and I thought it was about being polite again very British Um, what I've learned and only really recently is that that's simply a bias it's simply a way of that I was conditioned and if I just default to making decisions based on that oh I'm being polite I'm being respectful then I don't take a moment to consider what am I being respectful of why how could politeness Um, transcend into ignorance. So authority bias is when you just attribute greater accuracy to the opinion of somebody who's in an authority position. Like I said, a, a head teacher, a teacher, a police person, a coach. Now we know that there is a lot of unsafe environments with people in authority figures. So we need to be able to differentiate between being polite and being ignorant. When does our unconscious bias, our way of working, our way of doing, our way of behaving that we've been conditioned into, when does that override our ability to be a critical thinker? So, and as I said, this has come to mind a lot recently in terms of everything that's been going off with the pandemic and information about data, I'm I'm a scientist, I always want to find that the evidence-based decision-making. But what if my decision-making is not based on evidence, but based on who's presenting that evidence? And I don't take a moment to be critical and reflect on, okay, well, just because this authority figure is telling me this, um, is it truth? Do I take a moment to look up and look around and say, mm, but actually that authority figure over there is saying something different. So Maybe there's more to it than this. Maybe I need to dig a little deeper and do some research and be remain a critical thinker myself. So in work by and work based examples, authority bias can be where subordinates don't feel safe enough to challenge the status quo. Um, you can often get leaders who will say, "Okay, you know, innovation. Oh my goodness, innovation seems to be the word of." 20, 20, 21, 22, everybody wants, you know, people to be innovative. But if we don't give people space to challenge the status quo, if we have leadership that just says, okay, we want you to be in a innovative, but um, this is the way we do things around here, then there's no space to be innovative, right? Because actually, you don't want me to be different. So we need to take a moment to think, Again, can I, am I just deferring to this person because I've been raised to be respectful as opposed to because I believe that they're saying the right thing? And it doesn't mean that we have to be disrespectful, right? So I can still be respectful of authority figures, but I don't have to agree with them. And that was like the light bulb moment for me. And I'm all about light bulb moments in the work that we do. Just that assumption that I can still be polite and respectful, but I can disagree because I can, I'm critically thinking for myself. I'm looking for a range of evidence and I will process that myself. I think we've all seen leaders work with data differently and how much transparency there is right now with our leaders is questionable. How much authenticity for me is questionable? And I mean, let's face it, we're in a global pandemic. How can we're all doing it differently? I mean, if we're all experiencing the same uh, virus, then how how can we haven't figured out that there's best practice out there? That one country, one leader, one way of doing, one data set is correct. There's so many differences out there, so we need to be consciously aware and consciously. Be critically thinking about things. So again, this is just an example where, for me, I would default to unconsciously. There's an authority figure telling me something. I need to be respectful. Respectful means I agree. I don't challenge because challenging is disrespectful. And therefore, my default is mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know that <laughs> you can't see. There's a podcast, but I'm kind of doing that mm-hmm, tight mouth nodding thing here. Now, that's my unconscious bias. Now I'm aware of that. Now I have this little ding go off in my head and I'm like, oh, wait, Donna, hang on. Do you believe this person? Do you really trust them? Have you looked into the information yourself? Have you looked for other perspectives? Could, this, could there be another way? And that way I give myself space and grace and time to consider what I've heard and be mindful that I am going to make the next decision from a conscious place, not an unconscious place. So that's all the unconscious bias is. It's, It's this shortcut, it's this quick thinking, but it affects everything we do, and we need to slow down. Be aware that we cannot make conscious decisions all the time, and that's okay. But be aware, when should we be making conscious decisions? If I'm deciding whether or not to have a vaccine, whether or not to put that medication into my body, I should be making that decision consciously. I should be fully aware of the decision that I'm making at that point, not making a default unconscious decision. And again, in a work-based situation, am I following the lead of a leader because I feel I should be respectful when actually I'm thinking, oh, that's not the right thing to do. I know our client has specifically asked for this. I feel like something doesn't feel right here. I should speak up. There's a different way of doing it. Okay, then I need to speak up. I need to make a conscious decision. I can't let my unconscious mind take a lead in this example. Okay, let's do one more just for today. Okay, conformity bias. Oh, this is a good one, and this is, again, one that I think we all do all the time. Um, In front of me, when I'm thinking about conformity bias, I can see um, a herd of sheep, because for me, that's the symbol of conformity bias. It's the tendency we have to behave like those around us, rather than using our own personal judgment. So it's also known as groupthink, and it happens a lot in group situations and group settings, where we simply follow the herd rather than using our independent ethical judgment. And again, this happens in work-based scenarios all the time. In meetings, for example, now meetings are great subcultures, and I'll do a separate podcast episode coming up on meetings and cultures. We, You see conformity bias happen a lot in meetings because we kind of just want to a, get meetings over and done with because they tend to be boring and take up too much time. Again, I've got some resources to help with that. And we tend to go with the majority, um, especially if you have a lot of extroverts in a group, and one or two introverts, the ex- extroverts may dominate the conversation, may cajole, speak up, speak over, and therefore everybody else kind of follows along because you know if we if I put this other perspective forward now this meeting is going to go on and on and on so it's easy to default to this kind of fitting in perspective okay we're going to conform we fit in work asks us to conform a lot in terms of conforming to the time that we work the place that we work even what we wear to work there's a lot of expectation of conformity which counteracts, again, organizations asking us to be our authentic self. But conformity bias is a way of fitting in rather than belonging. Rather than being our true authentic self, we fit in and we conform. And therefore conformity bias comes along in terms of, um, I don't want to walk the boat right now, so if there's a vote, okay, I don't want to be the only one that keeps you know objecting to this, so... Yeah, let's just go along. If most people say this is right, then it must be right. Ah, again, ding, ding, must be. Let's just step away from that. It doesn't, there's not must be. Just because everybody says we're gonna jump off this cliff right now doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Maybe if there's a fire raging towards you and it's the best safe exit route, maybe. But take a moment to consciously make that decision. Do not, unconsciously follow a herd of lemmings (laughs) off the cliff face okay so i hope that this content today we've talked about biases and being conscious so to wrap it up i am incredibly grateful that you are here right now because you made a conscious decision to listen to this podcast which means you are being intentionally inclusive it is important to you and you chose an action to help you support that Thank you for that. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. We've talked about biases and the fact that they exist in our unconscious state. So the best way to avoid any of these unconscious bias is to be aware of them so that you can get that little ding, ding, ding bell going off in your head. Take time to make sure you're making decisions consciously, not unconsciously. So again, you can unconsciously decide to invite that friend to drinks on Friday but do not unconsciously decide who should get their promotion. That decision deserves a conscious, thoughtful process. So consciously decide who should get the promotion and step away from unconscious bias. Take the time, take the space, be mindful, be conscious, and we can all start moving away from letting the unconscious make decisions for us. That's a wrap for today, my friends. Like I said, I have a full resource of lots and lots of different types of unconscious biases that um, show up in the workplace. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can access that for free. Um, Until next time, my friends. Have a great one. Bye.